The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Let's listen in, my friends, as God's word echoes to us from Isaiah chapter 62, beginning with the first verse. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Upon your walls, O Jerusalem, I have posted sentinels. All day and all night they shall never be silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it renowned throughout the earth. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up an ensign over the peoples. The Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to daughter Zion, see your salvation comes. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. They shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's a photo on the wall at home of Amy and me. It was taken the day we got married. I'm smiling broadly. Amy's laughing. She's laughing because as we exited the chapel, I shouted, woohoo, picked her up and spun around. 
the train on her dress wrapped around me. I thought we were alone, but it turns out that our photographer had followed us out. He snapped his shutter at the perfect moment. He captured a vista of our wild joy. I like weddings. I like presiding at weddings. I like meeting the couple. I like the conversations we have during premarital counseling. I like planning the service. I feel blessed to have a ringside seat for other people's joy. Now, over the years, in, in presiding at lots and lots of weddings, I've often asked myself, why do people cry at these celebrations? The, the obvious answers are, I think, all true. Some people cry because they're remembering their own weddings. Some shed a few quiet tears holding on to hope that someday they might have a wedding of their own. Many cry at weddings because the event is a family reunion, and reunions, simply by gathering everyone together, naturally remind us of those who are absent, those who should be in the room. Some cry because weddings mark the passing of time in a powerful way. You cannot look at someone that you, you once supplied with sippy cups now holding a champagne flute and not feel a shiver of awe. The years really do slide by so quickly. All these things are capable of inducing tears. And all these things, I believe, fall under the umbrella of a larger spiritual instinct, spiritual leaning. I think we cry at weddings because we long to be in the presence of joy. Our souls crave joy. And, and weddings provide us with an opportunity to, to satisfy this longing, to feast our eyes on human gladness. When one person looks at another and says, you are my delight, we get all mushy inside. Why? Because joy is, it's, it's like those rare minerals like magnesium and, and zinc for our bodies that our spirits need in regular doses to be healthy. I think we're especially hungry right now for joy. On returning to Jerusalem, after spending decades in Babylon, having buried a whole generation of grandparents and parents in a foreign land, the people of Israel feel depleted of joy. They've chased off robbers and interlopers in a city that they last saw 50 years ago. They, they've started rebuilding roads and houses, but it's hard work. It's physically, spiritually exhausting. At night, these, these builders sit around the fire and, and they, they start talking about the worries dancing through their heads. 
Where do you think God was when the Babylonians dragged our people away from here? Where do you think God is now? Do you sense the sacred presence here that our grandparents went on and on about? I'm not sure that I do. It feels pretty darn lonely. Okay, let's be honest. Can we be honest? Do you think that there's a God out there who cares? A God moved by our suffering? A God who cheers our plans for rebuilding this place? Does anyone even have a vision for what's coming next? Can anyone tell me why? Why are we trying to build in this? Okay, let's just be blunt. Why are we trying to build in this God-forsaken place? Isaiah listens to all this anxious chatter. The former captives yearn for assurance, for hope, for joy. They yearn for God. In the face of the people's hunger, Isaiah prays. And then, summoning spit and spirit, Isaiah gathers everyone together for an announcement. He, he starts low and slow. I've got good news for you. The, the winds of heaven whispered something in my ear last night. They, they told me something remarkable. God is planning to get married. Wild, right? God is getting hitched. The, the Holy One's going to show up dressed like a bridegroom. Who's the bride? Well, get this. God is standing there with a goofy grin looking at us, us, all of us. The Almighty is gazing our way saying, you people, you're so beautiful. You're my delight. I want to put a crown on everyone's head. You make me so doggone happy. God God loves us and loves Jerusalem and loves the lands around Jerusalem. This is the message I heard last night. You are God's delight. Is Isaiah right? Is that how God sees us? Does God picture all of us in wedding gowns? How weird and wonderful is that? Last week, I watched the HBO miniseries, Mayor of Easttown. Mayor is a police officer who lives in a Philadelphia suburb. The community where she lives and works is one that she knows really well, wants Decades earlier, Mayor was a star player on the Easttown High School Lady Hawks, the girls' basketball team that won the state championship. Now, Mayor is a detective investigating a murder in her hometown. Mayor is far from a perfect person or a perfect cop. 
Her relationships with her family and friends are a painful mess. And sadly, Mayer often sabotages her best chance at repairing past hurts. Still, when Mayer is at her best, which is not all or even most of the time, she manages to see other people with surprising clarity, depth, and empathy. In one scene, and don't worry, no real spoilers here, Mayor's at home, because I want you to watch it. It's a little gritty, it's a lot gritty, but still. Mayor's at home, and it's been a hard day, and she's finally able, at the end of the day, to sit on her couch to relax and eat a hoagie. The peace of the moment, however, is shattered when a milk jug comes crashing through the plate glass window behind Mare. She turns and looks through the jagged hole, and there she sees Tony, the father of a girl that she arrested earlier that day, running away. Calmly, Mayor turns back around and starts picking shards of glass off her sandwich. As she rescues her cheesesteak, Mayor's daughter comes running into the room. What was that crash? That, Mayor responds in a measured way, that was a scared and angry father. Who are we? Are we that picture on the shelf where our clothes are neat and our smile looks genuine? Or are we a mugshot taken at our worst moments? Are we who our detractors say that we are? Or are we who our best friends believe that we are? Last week, the prophet Jeremiah told us that when God looked at Jerusalem, God saw a selfish society, a people without heart for those in need, a city destined for destruction. This week, the prophet Isaiah stands in the middle of that predicted destruction, in the middle of a city that feels just plain forsaken, and says, you are a noble people, you delight the divine. You make God rejoice. So which is it? Are we Jeremiah's selfish souls? Or are we Isaiah's delightful children? Why can't the good book make up its mind? When God looks at us, what does God see? I suspect that Jeremiah and Isaiah, taken together, point us in the direction of truth. We are complicated creatures, capable of evil and good, filled with destructive and creative impulses. As we make our way through life, Jeremiah tells us, God will hold us accountable. And then Isaiah comes along and explains why. God chases us down, 
God pursues us into places of desolation. God stands alongside us in times of great discouragement because when God looks at us, says Isaiah, when God looks at us, the divine heart cannot help but fill with joy. That's sweet, I suppose. But as people of faith, we might wonder if that's all we've got to pin our hopes on. Joy? It seems risky, maybe even foolish, to build on an emotion that in our experience can vanish quicker than dandelion fluff. Every day, I look at the wedding photo that hangs on the wall of my office. The two people in that picture have no idea about the challenges and successes, the happy times and the hard times that lie ahead. I know from experience they're not ready for the curveballs that will come their way. And I've often wondered, as I look at that, that photo, if, if those two smiling souls would still have joy splashed across their faces if they knew about the hard knocks that life would hold. In a certain light, that picture hanging on my wall looks almost naive. Joy like that cannot, will not last. It doesn't have staying power, does it? This past week, I visited with Vaughn and Jack, members of this church who have been married for just over 60 years. Sitting in their living room, we talked about how challenging the most recent chapter of their lives has been. Last year, Jack had a stroke, and the pandemic made it impossible for Vaughn to find help. They were alone in their apartment, an 86-year-old woman caring for a 91-year-old man. Vaughn explained, I would lay awake at night wondering what I would do if Jack fell down. There was tenderness and weariness in her words. Tell, tell me more, I asked. Tell me the story of your lives. They laughed and began. Jack grew up in Oklahoma. Vaughn was from Louisiana. Jack was a pilot flying DC-8s for American Airlines. Vaughn is still a volunteer for the National Kidney Association. Together, they have a beloved daughter who, last December, stood outside on a snowbank on 86th Street next to a large homemade Merry Christmas banner, talking to her mom and dad on the phone as they waved down from the 26th floor. Did you get married, I asked, in Oklahoma or Louisiana? In New Orleans, Vaughn responded. 
I remember her dress, Jack said. You do, replied a surprised Vaughn. What do you remember? You look so beautiful in it, he responded. Oh, Jack, she said, dabbing at the corner of her eye. We need to get our wedding photos out. Somewhere, the prophet Isaiah was nodding. Right? I mean, Isaiah looks at a group of tired and uncertain people trying to rebuild Jerusalem, and he says, I think it's time to pull out the family photo album. Look, here, see in this picture, you can see God smiling like a giddy bridegroom. And look again, over here, this is you and your family, your friends. Can you connect the dots between the two? You are the reason God is smiling. My friends, underneath our weariness and our anxiety, the good book offers us a place to stand and a deep truth to share. Facing discouraged people, Isaiah gives voice to faith's bedrock, and it goes like this. God delights in us. God loves us. God looks at us and says, yes. If we're going to rebuild, says Isaiah, we need to spend time reminding each other of this sturdy truth. We need to shout this news from every wall in the city. We need to pull the family album out from under the bed and repeat these words over and over until everyone, you and me and even God above, is thoroughly soaked in their joy. They shall be called holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. My friends, will you remind someone this week that they are God's delight? Will you pull out Heaven's photo album and identify yourself and others among the joyous pictures. Will you share the blessing of God, the love of Jesus, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with others seeking to build up this world? Will you? Amen.